And with that, please make sure you have your Bibles handy. We are diving into Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 1, as we continue our study of this great passage of Scripture that encourages us to run the race. Last Sunday, one of our church members, uh, Kate Smothers, introduced me to an individual I'd never heard of. Uh, She was an Olympian that was a famous uh, world-class swimmer representing South Africa. Her name was Tatiana Schoenmacher. And I didn't know this about her, but she's one of the fastest racers in the world when it comes to the 200-meter breaststroke. So most people who are swimming enthusiasts evidently know her name well. She's one of the fastest swimmers in the world. So they know Tatiana Schoenmacher is an amazing swimmer. But what many don't know is that she's also a very committed Christian. If you look at the picture here, this next one we put up, she's wearing a green swim cap as she competed in the Olympics. That shows everyone in the stands and every judge that she's representing South Africa. But underneath that green cap is another swim cap she wears, a white one. And on that white swim cap, I learned that she has a blue Jesus fish. And next to that Jesus fish, she has these words, Soli Deo Gloria. Translation, glory to God alone. Before she flew to Tokyo to compete in the Olympic Games last month, she sent out this tweet on Twitter. And here was what her tweet said. Father God, may your will be done. May your peace fill us up. May we praise you no matter what the outcome. May we be empowered by your strength to give it our all. And may we forever be in the awe of your goodness. Amen, Tatiana. Amen. Well, would you like to see how Tatiana did in her race, racing for the gold medal? Watch this. In bronze medal territory, but here comes the teenager from Russia. The 16-year-old is pushing laser for the bronze. Schoenmacher is going to win gold for South Africa. And Lily King is pushing to the wall for silver. Annie Laser gets the bronze. for Schoenmacher with a goal for South Africa. Not only did Tatiana Schoenmacher win the gold medal, she broke a world record becoming the first woman in history to swim the 200-meter breaststroke in under 2 minutes, 19 seconds. (laughs) Well done, Tatiana. She fought the good fight there in the Olympics. She kept the faith, and she finished her race on top. And I can't help but think if Tatiana was able to swim for the glory of God in Tokyo in that Olympic-sized swimming pool, certainly you and I can do it for Jesus Christ right where he's placed us. Well, make sure you do have your Bibles handy as we continue our study called Run the Race. Today is Run the Race, Part 3. So we're in Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 1, it reads, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. 
Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. May God bless us as we study and apply his word to our lives today. What a powerful scripture. I hope you're becoming very familiar with these three verses this month. In fact, I'd encourage you to memorize them. They are so, so good. Hide them on your heart. Memorize those words and never forget them. Remember that these three great verses are given to us on the heels of the faith chapter. The writer of Hebrews spends the entire 11th chapter talking about faith in God. Chapter 11 begins with this powerful definition of faith. Faith means being sure of the things we hope for and knowing that something is real even if we do not see it. That's a pretty good definition of faith, isn't it? So as we talked about last week, faith transcends our five senses. Even though we can't see God or hear God or touch God, followers of Christ believe that God exists anyway. Amen? And even though at times God's commands defy logic, followers of Christ believe and follow God's commands anyway. Right? And even though at times God's promises can't be proven by science and all the so-called experts around us tell us that what God says is going to happen cannot possibly happen, we believe that when God says and promises it's going to happen, we believe Him anyway, regardless of what these so-called experts say. Right? Most of Hebrews 11 is spent highlighting around 20 Old Testament men and women who demonstrated this faith in God. Believing God, trusting in God, obeying His commands, and taking hold of His promises, even when His Word and His commands and His promises defied their five senses, even when it defied the experts, even when it didn't make any sense logically. They walked by faith anyway. Everyone around those heroes of the faith, including, including those educated experts, were telling them that God's promises and those God's commands were just completely crazy. But they obeyed God and followed Him anyway. And immediately after shining the spotlight on the Old Testament faith heroes, the writer of Hebrews writes in verse 1 of chapter 12, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Not a single one of these Old Testament heroes of the faith mentioned in chapter 11, not a single one can live out your faith for you. Not a single one, no matter how great and amazing their faith may have been, not a single one can run your Jesus race for you. I have to run my own Jesus race by faith, and you have to run your own Jesus race by faith. A wise man once said this. I think you'll like this. Faith is like a toothbrush. Everyone should have one and use it regularly, but it isn't safe to use somebody else's. <laughs> That's pretty good, isn't it? I like that. Life is short, and we have a lot of work to do for Jesus before we croak. So by faith... 
We've got to make sure that we roll up our sleeves and get to work. We've got to hustle. We've got to run this Jesus race with some heart. We've got to run this Jesus race with some gusto. We have to run as if lives depend on it because they do. Lives depend on us running this race well. Last week, we tackled these two very important questions. How do we do it? How do we run this Jesus race day after day without tiring out, without getting discouraged or losing hope? Those are some really important questions. Any fool can believe in Jesus part of the time. Anybody can obey some of Jesus's commands when they're easy and convenient. But it is hard to believe in Jesus and to trust Jesus and obey his commands, especially the hard ones, time and time again, day after day after day. So how do we do it? How do we run this Jesus race with stamina? How do we run it with consistency so that we can get that gold medal at the end of our lives? Running the race as great as we possibly can. Well, last week I shared with you these six biblical keys to running a gold medal race for Jesus. And I want us to spend a few minutes reviewing those six biblical keys because they are so important and I want them to sink into our minds and hearts. So remember the first key to running a gold medal race for Jesus. Key number one is to draw inspiration from others. That's why it says in Hebrews 12:1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, in other words, since I have just told you in chapter 11 about all of these wonderful, faith-filled heroes of the Old Testament, because of that, run with perseverance the race marked out for you. Oh, draw inspiration from those Old Testament heroes of our faith. Well, last week we looked at a few examples in that uh, chapter, Hebrews chapter 11. I encouraged you last week to spend some time in your personal devotions, uh, diving into Hebrews 11 and then going back to the Old Testament and reading some of the faith stories of some of those heroes called out by name in chapter 11. I hope you did that. Uh, remember what Warren Wearsby writes. He says, one of the best ways to develop endurance and encouragement is to get to know the godly men and women of the Old Testament who ran the race and won. If you're having problems with your family, read about Joseph. If you think your job is too big for you, study the life of Moses. If you're tempted to retaliate, see how David handled this problem. In Hebrews 11.32, four heroes of the faith are identified by name that are right from the book of Judges. And so you'll see them in Hebrews 11, verse 32, the first part of the verse. These four judges called out by name are Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah. Maybe you went back to the book of Judges and read a few of their stories this last week. I just want to highlight a couple of them because some of you, as Wearsby points out in that quote we just looked at, some of you are dealing with a dysfunctional family. Some of you are not in the best family situation or you came out of a dysfunctional family situation. If that's the case, you need to read the story of Jephthah from Judges chapter 11. Because as dysfunctional as your family might be, I guarantee you it's not as dysfunctional as Jephthah's was. You know, you look at his story and it's pretty crazy. So guess what Jephthah's mom did for a living? She had a very respectable position 
She was a prostitute. His mom was a prostitute. His dad got together with a hooker one night and she becomes pregnant. He has this child. Well, thankfully, at least raised the child. But when his younger brothers are born to Jephthah's dad's wife grow to a certain age, they not only kicked Jephthah's out of the house, Jephthah out of their house because they didn't want some half brother born of a hooker in their home. They not only kicked him out of the house, they kicked him out of town. And so poor Jephthah went into exile, born of a prostitute, kicked out of his house and driven from his own town. He had a dysfunctional family. Yet you read his story and you discover that he was a great man of faith. He trusted God to help him lead uh, an army of Israelites against an enemy army. And God led him to a great victory by faith. Well, if some of you think your job is too big for you, you should read the story of Gideon in Judges chapter 7. He came from a small family and he was low man on the totem pole in his small family. And so God calls to him right now. He says, arise, mighty warrior. And Gideon's looking around. You're talking to me. I'm no mighty warrior. But God made him into a mighty warrior because Gideon was a man of faith. I love the story of Gideon because Gideon rallies the Israelite army to go up against 135,000 Midianite soldiers who had been oppressing Israel. So Gideon gets his army together and he has 32,000 soldiers. Uh, 32,000 versus 135,000 enemy Midianites. And so the odds against Gideon were four to one. Those odds aren't good when you're going into battle. But what does God say to Gideon? He says, Gideon, uh, you've got too many soldiers. You need to get rid of some of them. So Gideon says, "Okay, God, I'll walk by faith. I'll I'll obey your command. So what does he do? He goes to his soldiers and says, if anyone's too scared to fight, you can go home. Twenty two thousand turned around and went home. He's left with his teeny army of ten thousand. Now the odds are more than 13 to one against him. What does God say to Gideon? Gideon, you still have too many uh, soldiers in your army. I need you to get rid of more. And so what does Gideon do? He dismisses 97% of his entire army. He's left with 300 men. You now have 300 against 135,000. Now the odds are 450 to 1. And Gideon won that battle against the Midianites by faith. You think your job is too hard? Look at Gideon. He obeyed and walked by faith. And if Gideon could do it in his situation, with his job that God gave him, you can certainly do it with yours. Well, if you struggle to forgive and you struggle to pray for people who have wronged you, you should read the story of the greatest hero of our faith, Jesus Christ. Notice what it says there in verses 2 and 3 of Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, Endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. It makes it clear there, there in those verses in Hebrews 12, 2 and 3 that Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. What does that mean? Well, the author of our faith. In other words, Jesus is the creator of our faith. He's the author of it. He created our faith. 
He set it into motion and our faith revolves around Jesus Christ. He is the epicenter of our faith. He's the author, but he's also the perfecter of our faith. What does that mean? It not only means that Jesus created it, it means that he perfects our faith. Uh, You could say it this way. He takes our weak faith and makes it strong. He, He takes our inconsistent faith and makes it consistent. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Because each of us look at ourselves and we realize our faith needs some work. Our faith needs some honing. Our faith definitely needs some perfecting. And Jesus is the perfecter of our faith. Some of you think you've been dumped on so much by someone that you could never forgive them. You resent that person who made your life a a living hell. You're bitter toward that person who betrayed your trust. Well, it says in Hebrews 12, 2 and 3, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. You've been treated badly, but I guarantee you you haven't been treated nearly as badly as Jesus Christ was treated. You've never had chunks of flesh ripped off your back. You've never had nails driven into your hands and feet. You've been stabbed in the back, but you've probably never been stabbed in the back by one of your best friends as badly as Jesus was stabbed in the back by his. You've had people betray your trust, but you've never been betrayed like Jesus was betrayed. And as he hung on that cross... Jesus looked down from that cross in his excruciating pain, covered in blood and bruising and swollen body parts. You know, he was just beat up uh, beyond recognition by the time he was even nailed to the cross. And Jesus looked down from that cross. And you remember the first thing he said? He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. So you fix your eyes on Jesus. If you say, I could never forgive that person for what he or she did to me, you fix your eyes on Jesus and you say, if Jesus could do it, if he could forgive those that spat in his face and nailed him to a cross and betrayed him and stabbed him in the back, then I can certainly extend forgiveness to those who have betrayed me. I can certainly forgive those who have stabbed me in the back. I can release that bitterness to Christ. I can release that unforgiveness. I can release that resentment to Christ. Give it to him. He can teach you to forgive. No one inspires us to keep the faith like Jesus. No one inspires us to persevere like Jesus. No one inspires us to forgive and pray for our enemies like Jesus. No one inspires us to fight the good fight and keep the faith and finish the race like Jesus. So fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Draw your inspiration from him more than from anyone else. Key number two to running a gold medal race for Jesus, play by the rules. We looked at this last week. Second Timothy two five says, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. Remember what the three rules are for following Jesus and running this race. Three rules. Number one. Trust him. Number two, love him. And number three, obey his commands. Let's look at each of these quickly. Rule number one, trust him, only him. Remember what it says back in Hebrews chapter 11, verse six. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly, earnestly seek him. So don't trust in Jesus and the Pope. 
Don't trust in Jesus and Donald Trump. Don't trust in Jesus and your own goodness and religion and your righteousness. Trust in Jesus alone. Trust in Jesus alone. You see, Jesus cannot and will not share your soul's trust with anyone. Your soul is either his completely or it's not his at all. You either surrender complete control of your life to Christ or you don't surrender anything to Christ. Trust him and trust him alone. That's rule number one of running this race for Jesus. Rule number two, love him. Only him. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. What a wonderful thing that Jesus says there. He says there's 613 laws of Moses in the Old Testament. Here's the most important one. Love the Lord your God with everything you've got. Love him with all your heart. Love him with all your strength. Love him with all your soul. Love him with all your mind. Love him with everything you've got. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. This one to love God and number two to love people. Now, many people, many Christians even wonder if I love God with all my heart, then there won't be any of my part, any of my heart left to love anyone else. Absolutely. Any questions? One one question, Pastor. Huh? Well, let me say it again. If you love God with all of your heart, there won't be any part of your heart left to love anybody else. And that's exactly the way God wants it. Well, that doesn't make any sense, Pastor. How is that possible? Well, here's how it works. God is not interested in you loving the people around you with a piece of your heart. He's not interested in you loving the people around you in your inferior, half-hearted kind of way. He wants you to love him with your entire heart. And then he, as you're loving him with all your heart, will love those around you through you. And God loving people with his perfect kind of love will always be superior to you loving people with your half-hearted, imperfect kind of love. You see, God loving your wife, God loving your husband, God loving your kids, God loving your ornery neighbor that you have a hard time loving, God loving your ex-boss, your ex-husband, your ex-wife, your ex-whoever, through you will always be a superior kind of love than you loving that person on your own even if you tried with everything you had. Oh, Jesus' love is so much greater than our own. So let Him love those around you through you by loving Him with all your heart. So, that's rule number two of running this Jesus race. Love God with everything you've got. Rule number three, obey Him. Only Him. Jesus says it simply in John fourteen fifteen. If you love me, you will obey what I command. It's really that simple. If you do not obey Christ, you do not love Christ. If you do not obey Christ, you really don't trust Christ. And if you're not obeying and trusting and loving Christ, then you're not even on the narrow road to heaven. You're on the wide road to hell. 
You're not saved. You're not forgiven. You're not in a relationship with God. Obedience is where the rubber hits the road. If you're not obeying, you really don't love Him and you really don't trust Him and you're really not saved. Oh, so if you want to go to heaven, if you want to be on that narrow road, you have to obey Him. That's rule number three. Obey Jesus and Him alone. Well, that's part of that second key to running a gold medal race for Jesus. Remember, the first key is to draw inspiration from other faith warriors, especially draw inspiration from Jesus Himself. And rule number two is to follow the rules. Rule number three is to practice self-control. I should say key number three, not rule number three. Key number three is to practice self-control. And we'll take these two together. Key number four is to exercise because it's good for you. We've talked about these a bit over the last couple weeks. Uh, Many of you have said, well, if Pastor Dane is training in the month of August to run a half marathon in September, then I'm going to set some good physical goals for myself. And so many of you over the last couple weeks have set goals. Uh, Some of you have decided to cut out energy drinks or sodas for the month of August. Some of you have decided to go to the gym three days a week or to walk a mile every day. Some of you, like me, are trying to lose five pounds during the month. Whatever your good physical goal is, it requires self-discipline and self-control to carry out, doesn't it? And the beauty of that is, as you're lighting a fire under yourself to carry out this good physical goal during the month of August, as you're practicing self-discipline and self-control, Jesus is going to use that self-control and that self-discipline to help you carry out a much more important spiritual goal. And so Jesus Christ, as you have lit a fire under yourself physically, is lighting a fire underneath you spiritually to carry out the greatest goals of all, running that race well for Jesus Christ. So key number three is to practice self-control. Key number four to running a gold medal race is to exercise. It's good for you and will help you run your spiritual race much better. And then finally, key number five, don't sin. I shouldn't say finally. There's a six as well. But key number five, don't sin. Sin slows you down and sin makes you weak. There are many reasons why you and I shouldn't sin. And this is one of them. Now, many Christians hold on to this crazy idea, as we saw last week. They hold on to this crazy idea that there are these magic four sins, and these are the ones that make you weak. Uh, If you eat too much, uh, if you, you get high on drugs, if you get drunk on any sort of alcohol, or if you practice unprotected sex, those are the four sins that will really make you sick. The others, eh, not so much. The Bible says poppycock ain't true. It's not true that only certain sins make you sick. The Bible makes it clear that all sin can make us weak and sick. And so we think back to what we learned in the Sermon on the Mount last over the last few months in Matthew chapters five through seven. Jesus made it very clear that certain things are sin that most people don't even think are sin. He said, you've heard that it was said, don't murder. Well, I tell you, uh, don't even have anger harbored in your heart against a brother because to God, that's like heart murder. And so Jesus is making it clear that harboring anger and bitterness and resentment in your heart against someone is a sin and that will make you sick. Jesus says, you've heard that it said it was said, don't commit adultery. But I tell you, don't even lust after a woman in your heart that you're not married to. Pastor, you saying that if I lust in my heart, no one even knows about it. That'll make me sick. Yes, I am. The Bible makes it clear even lust can make you sick. And there's all sorts of other sins. In fact, every sin that can and will make you sick and make you weak. No sin allows you 
to escape that punishment that can come by sinning. And so it's very clear in God's word that we cannot sin as we're running this race because it slows us down and it weakens us. Well, there's several examples that I don't want to miss before moving on to our our sixth key to running this race well. I want to bring up a, a couple sins I don't even mention very often. One is gossip. Let me just ask you, what happens to your spiritual race when you gossip? Or even when you listen to gossip? Well, it's a sin. It's going to slow you down, I guarantee you. And it's going to make you weak. Uh, what about uh, grumbling and complaining? We don't talk about that one too often. It's going to slow you down and it's going to make you sick. Uh, well, uh, what about my foul mouth? You know, I, I drop a few F-bombs here and there. I might use God's name in vain. It doesn't really hurt me, does it? Yes, it does. Having foul language can even make you weak and make you sick. The Bible makes it clear that sin pulls us down. It pulls us away from God. It keeps us from living the life that God has called us to live and running the race that he's called us to run. But is there a certain sin in the forefront of God's mind when he tells us in verse one to throw off the sin that so easily entangles? And I believe the answer is yes. I think the sin that is forefront in God's mind when he tells us in Hebrews 12:1 to throw off the sin that entangles is the sin of unbelief. There's a reason he says that immediately after giving us the faith chapter in chapter 11. Unbelief, don't miss this, unbelief is the greatest sin. We can say it this way. In this Jesus race you are running, no sin will stop you dead in your tracks as quickly as the sin of unbelief. Without faith, it says in Hebrews 11:6, it is impossible to please God. And without faith, it is impossible to make any forward progress on the narrow road to heaven. It is faith that got us into this race to begin with. And it is faith that sustains us in this race. So it's not an overstatement to say that the worst of all sins is the sin of unbelief. Make sure that you are holding on to faith as you run this race for Jesus. Finally, key number six to running a gold medal race for Jesus is to finish strong, to finish strong. Some of us didn't get off to a very good start. We came out of those starting blocks pretty slow after we got saved. Others of us came out of the starting blocks pretty fast, but you know what? We've kind of slowed down and we're just sitting on the track here recently and we're making no forward progress for Christ. We're not leading anyone to Christ. We're not growing in character. We're not growing in our faith. We're not uh, banishing more and more sin from our lives. We are just at a standstill. But regardless of how you started your Jesus race and regardless of how lousy you've been running it recently, you and I can draw a line in the sand today and say, beginning today, I'm going to make sure that I finish well. I can't do anything about yesterday, but I can sure do something about today and tomorrow if God gives it to me. I'm going to run this Jesus race with everything I've got. I'm going to run it with heart. I'm going to run it with gusto. I'm going to run it for the glory of God. And when I get to the end of my life, because I have trusted Christ with everything I had, I've loved Christ with everything I've had. I've obeyed his commands as best as I could by his grace. As I've run this race for Jesus Christ, I too can say what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And through it all, I have kept 
the faith. Oh, you and I can say that when we get to the end of our lives. But make sure that you finish well. Finish strong for Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you keep on giving us some of these same charges over and over again. And I know that's for a reason. Sometimes we hear a sermon and we hear a charge or a, a strong command from you and we say, yeah, that's really good. I've got to do it. But we forget it by the next day. But Lord, you just keep on reminding us this month that we've got to run this race like lives depended on it because lives do depend on it. Lord, there are far too many Christians who are running a lazy race and there's no place for laziness on this narrow road to heaven. The lazy road is the wide road to hell and we're not on that road. Lord, help us to be faithful, to trust you and you alone, to love you and you alone, to obey your commands and your commands alone. And with whatever amount of time we have left, help us to run this race with excellence. Help us to run well and finish the race strong for the glory of God. Oh, Lord, help us. Help us to push away sin and to get rid of that sin that so easily entangles. Help us, oh God, to run for you with everything we've got. And we know that you'll help us every step of the way. In Jesus' name. Well, I'm really looking forward to wrapping up this series with you over the next couple of weeks. And we're going to take a, a closer look at some of these spiritual goals that Jesus Christ has put before us. I've mentioned several times to you that as we've lit this, as we've lit this physical fire underneath ourselves to carry out these physical goals, Jesus is lighting a fire under us to carry out spiritual goals. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in the next couple of weeks. And then don't forget at the end of this month, mark your calendars on the 29th. We've got that 2021 vision at the crossroads, a great opportunity for our church to come together and hear what God has in mind for us as we run our race together in these months to come. It's going to be a great blessing. If you are here with us today and you've never made a decision to accept Christ as Savior, I want to encourage you to do that. I've said several times recently that becoming a follower of Jesus, beginning this Jesus race, is easy. And I, I really, as I've thought about this this past month and even heard a, a message from another pastor about it, I came to the conclusion that I, I think I've been wrong about that. Beginning a race for Jesus isn't necessarily easy. It's not complicated. Even a child can understand it. I need to put my trust in Jesus and I need to obey Jesus. Even a child can understand that. But it's not necessarily easy to begin following Jesus. In fact, Jesus said to that rich young ruler, remember, he said, how hard is it for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven? It's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. So for some of us, even beginning that race is really, really hard because it requires surrender. I like to share with you the ABCs. A, we've got to be willing to admit that we are sinners. That's really hard for some people to do. B, we need to believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and that he's, he's our only way to be forgiven. Okay, For many of us, that's the easiest of the three. And then the C, we choose to follow Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord beginning today. That, for many, is the hardest of all. To make that choice 
to come out of the driver's seat of my life and put Jesus Christ in charge and to surrender my thoughts and surrender my priorities and surrender my money and surrender my plans and surrender my mouth and surrender my life to him. For many of us, that is not easy. And so if I've led you to believe that becoming a Christian is easy, I I apologize for that. I'm going to start correcting that from this point forward. For many of us, even just starting that road, starting on that narrow road to heaven is not easy. And so you know what? When we start on that road, if it's not easy, staying on that road is not easy either. But I can guarantee you that being on the narrow road to heaven is the best way to live. Because God will come inside your life and He'll help you do every hard thing that He asks you to do. You're not going to be doing it alone. And so if you want to have a relationship with Christ, if you want to glorify God with your life, if you want to go to heaven someday, I ask you today to make that hard decision to put Jesus Christ in the driver's seat of your life. If you have any questions about that, reach out to us. You can call or text one of our prayer counselors. Their names and numbers are at the bottom of your screen. God bless you. Those of you who are still thinking about following Christ, I urge you, make that decision to follow Him today. It's not easy, but make it for Him. And those of you who have already chosen to follow Him, you stay on that hard, narrow road because there's no better way to live. Let's run our race for the glory of God and the advancement of Christ's kingdom here on earth. And let's run that race well so we can hear those words from Jesus Christ Himself. Well done. Good and faithful servant. God bless you as you trust Him and love Him and obey His commands this week. We'll see you next time.